Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. What's up, internets? Welcome to another Fan Bros special delivery. This is Chico Leo flying in the escape pod with my co-pilot. Kimsonian, a.k.a. the Wedge Antilles of the internet. That's right. Wedge Antilles, the only the only guy who actually uh, fought in, uh, in both battles against the Death Star. That's right. So, uh... Yeah, uh, so here we are. We are we are flying high in the night sky, the clear night sky above Brooklyn, ready to talk to you about uh, some TV shows this week. Um, we are on the third episode of The Walking Dead, or the 11th episode of The Walking Dead, depending on if you're starting from the recent hiatus or from the beginning of the season. And uh, tonight's episode uh, was titled The Distance, and uh, it was... Uh, Written by Seth Hoffman and directed by Larissa Kondracki, who is a uh, director whose only credits are uh, a couple of other Walking Dead episodes. And she actually directed a movie, which I did see, about uh, sex trafficking in Bosnia uh, with, like, the U.N. being, the you know, U.N. workers being the, the sex traffickers. Wow. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> that's a deep dive, Chico. Yeah, well, you know, I, th- those are her only credits, and I, and I did actually happen to see both the episodes that she directed and and that movie. Um, so yeah, so the distance, um, and uh, we've we've sort of switched uh, modes. Uh, you know, I think the uh, the tempo was sort of really slow and lugubrious in the first uh, two episodes, in the last two episodes. Since we've come back from the hiatus and and we got sort of more action and more direction this episode, Um, Aaron, who's the dude who uh, came up on Sasha and Maggie at the end of the last episode and, you know, has admitted to have been following and listening and spying on our our heroes, um, basically tries to get them to come to his camp with them. And they're a lot more sort of grizzled and battle-hardened after uh, their experiences with Terminus. And uh, what was the name of the governor's pl- uh Was it Westbury or Woodhaven? One of those. What, yeah, something like that. And um, so they're not, you know, they're obviously operating now on full, you know, paranoia. Uh, or at least Rick is. Michonne is definitely the voice of, or a voice of reason, but the... The, the main voice of reason in the episode. Um, so I think, I, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think at this point that what's happening is that the battle fatigue is really uh, set in on the crew. Yes. And last episode, we really saw that um, affect them deeply. And I think what happened is we're switching from this kind of inner exploration of the characters. Now we have to get them somewhere. And right. in true Walking Dead fashion, anytime they need to actually make a move as a group, there's always going to be some sort of exterior momentum. And this guy Aaron shows up with his nice pleated shirt and nice khakis, no no dust on him. He's like super clean, L.L. Bean. And so, you know, this gives them the type of, uh, what do you call it, catalyst to get them to move out of their 
whatever funk they were in at the time. But you're right. Michonne is the one to really recognize the fatigue and like she recognizes that she needs to settle down. Well, and, and they all do. But yes. Well, uh, Rick, I, I think Rick is stuck in this like survival mode where he's looking at his daughter like I'm going to do anything and his son like I'm going to do anything possible to, you know, I'm going to stay on the edge until, you know, whatever, till the end of days. But I think, you know, cooler heads prevail in this episode. To well, and way. Michonne points out to them that finding a place where Judith can be safe, you know, for more than a few hours at a time is is the is in the best interests of of, you know, his family. Um and yes, Rick, you know, has legitimate reasons for, you know, basically giving, you know, even less fucks than before. But um yeah, I I, I definitely enjoyed the episode, no doubt, but um I feel like we know that this that something's going to happen. Like, you know, we just know from the show and the tone of the show and the history of the show. So it almost feels like all of this is like a dance, like, you know, that we've seen before. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's like Charlie Brown with the football, but obviously they're going to get to this place and something terrible is going to happen. And, you know, one or two people are going to end up, you know, at least will end up getting killed or, you know, they're going to get separated for another season. Like something, something bad has to happen. And knowing that while you're watching it, it's hard not to, you know, be like Rick and apply the lessons that came before to the current situation. And it didn't help, like, the dude, like, everything that you were saying worked against the dude. Like, you know, his, his yeah, like, his clean clothes and the fact that he gets up smiling after Rick punches him in the face. Like, all that is really unsettling, I, I feel like, given the circumstances. Like, he's whipping out applesauce and, you know, the claim, you know they've got cans of food and he's like, oh, there's more where that came from. Just his whole, that he's so out of place in, in the world that they're in right. is, is off-putting. You know, more off-putting than if his clothes were all ripped and he was emaciated and, you know, he had two cans of food instead of 30. And then when uh, we get to their cars and he has, like, they, they're traveling around in, like, a pimped-out giant white Lincoln Continental and, uh, you know, a, a really dope, um, you know, uh, Winnebago. Right. Um, it's just all very out of our, what our heroes are, are, are sort of used to. Um that I even I I you know it's hard to it's hard to trust that guy. Uh, well, that I think that's the premise of the show though. In the zombie apocalypse, who do you trust? And right. we spent you know a good what is it six years or five years with these characters or maybe less. But um, and so we know as viewers we can trust the crew. You know we've lost people. You know they've come and gone since the first season. So anytime a new person shows up, there's always going to be some sort of knee-jerk reaction to protect the group, right? Right. Like the herd mentality kind of thing. Um, this, like you said, I've seen it before. It reminds me a lot of Terminus. They even brought it up in the show. Like, you know, it, 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 it kind of reminds me of, you know, the same kind of feeling. What is Terminus? You know, all these signs. We want to get to D.C. And then it ends up that they're going to Alexandria, Virginia, which is right outside of D.C., you can see the the monument. And it, right. so it's almost like they're ending up in D.C. anyway. And, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think we're being set up for something that is going to, you know, hopefully it'll shock us. Hopefully it'll be a good story twist because if they start imitating themselves, it's going to get pretty um, Right, and, and that's weird. the thing. I, I, I have enough 
respect for this show, like in terms of what's come before, like they've managed to not repeat themselves in impressive ways in, in, in the ways in which they have found really new and incredible, um, you know, ways to, 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 to show the zombies, to show the zombie uh, fight sequences. Like, they really get, you know, deserve a lot of credit for coming up just technically with different ways of showing them or shooting, you know, shooting, I mean, literally shooting, you know, cinemata- cin- cinematographically uh, those scenes. And so I, 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 I and also the, the last few seasons have been so good um, with Scott Gimple, the, the, the recent showrunner, so I, I, I don't think they're going to repeat themselves. And also the, the opposite of what we both just said is true in the sense of both Michonne is right that for our, our heroes that, you know, for Rick's crew that, you know, finding shelter and safety is definitely best for them. But I think from the other people's point of view, if you look at it, like if you were trying, you know, like you need people to have a community and you need to have a community to have you know, any, sem- you know, humans are social animals, we're tribal, you know, um, we lived in, in, in tribes and extended families, you know, throughout most of history until basically, you know, this century. And so, uh, you know, there is a sense of like, well, they, they do need to team up and learn to trust each other. But yeah, I mean, it's hard not to, you know, just watching the show an hour a week, you know, for, you know, a few months of the year, I don't trust that guy. If I was living in that world, you know, I'd have probably shot him on sight. Right, exactly. I mean, he was way too clean. And we'll see. I think they'll explore why this community is so sheltered. You know, apparently the the wall is, you know, impenetrable. And he was really gassing up the, the fact that his community was so safe and all this kind of stuff. So we'll figure it out. I mean... Terminus, we had we had an inkling that things weren't going to go right from the beginning, so here it's it's a little more shrouded. We'll see what happens, you know, in the in the next episode. Um, I do like the fact that um, the crew kind of fell apart, and now we're kind of piecing it together. I kind of I really like the way the writers always take you kind of on that journey, and then like you said, one by one, you know, people get picked off and. I actually thought I had this inkling that Michonne was going to get picked off at some point because I haven't seen so much of her like this. And I feel like anytime they reveal some inner kind of development, that means that that character is going to get like either like ripped in half or, you know, they're just not going to be there the next episode. So I was kind of feeling like I'm seeing all this Michonne, the inner Michonne stuff jumping out on screen. And I'm like, something's something's up with her, man. She seems a little weak, you know, and. So anyway, did the did the did the the woman uh, Alana Masterson is the actress's name? What happened to her? The one who um, had been with the governor and then Glenn rescued her at the prison. Did she get killed? The woman who was with the governor. Oh yeah, the blonde-haired girl. No, 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 no. no. She's a brunette. Um, she looks a little like. Uh, oh no 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 no! A, She's uh, um the young. You're talking about the young girl. She's still there. Well, you, I mean, young like you know, younger than us, but you know, not as young as Carl. No no she, no no! Oh yeah, she's the one who in real life was dating uh, Tom Cruise's son, right? The black one. I think she was dating the black son. Oh, you're I didn't about know that, that girl. Yeah yeah yeah. Her character's a lesbian on the show. They showed her like hooking up with a woman in the governor's camp or when right. the governor. 
Yeah. So I, I, I don't I didn't see no, her. No, she's in this there. Episode, she's there. I don't remember her getting killed. No, she's there. She's hanging around. There's a right, lot of right. like they didn't they I mean they didn't show Abraham for I think like the last episode and I mean, you know, you'd see them in the background but you would never right. like really see a close up and and so they've been I think they've been pretty um what do you call it, very choosy about who they choose to, to show and who they're going to do the close-up on and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the, those characters are a little less exciting until they make them exciting. You right. know what I mean? So now Abraham is back in the picture. You know, him and Rosita are kind of, like, making up again. And it's I don't know. I wasn't really too happy, you know, too interested in them in the first place. But it does kind of resonate when they see – you know, the the Washington Monument, and they're like, we kind of made it. So it is kind of a callback. So when you binge watch this whole season, maybe next year when you're bored, right. that, that'll probably call back a lot stronger, you know, the, the fact that they're close to Washington. So, you know, we're moving. I guess that's the important thing is that the crew is moving, which means that there's a lot more action. Glenn really stepped up, I feel like. He's, you know, and, and Michonne made the big call to move in the first place, which was – that's why I was really like, oh, man, her days are numbered because she's she's a little too happy. Once you get a little too happy. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, um, well, I don't know. I would be surprised if they killed off Michonne. But this show has definitely shown that, 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 that nobody is safe. And, and I think actually, you know, they've 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 differed from the uh, from the comics. And um you know, now George R. R. Martin has said that there are going to be people who die in the next season of Game of Thrones who don't die in the books. And I'm just wondering how much they've, they, you know, if they looked at The Walking Dead, which is, you know, I think they can legitimately compare themselves to, not necessarily in terms of scope, but, you know, Walking Dead is, you know, a, a genre cable show that kills off its characters. And so is uh, The Walking Dead. And they're both based on existing texts that are ahead of the show, but not finished. Right. So right. there's like a whole, you know, internal discussion, obviously, on both on where they can, you know, what works better for the TV show than for either the comic book or the novels. But anyway, so the the point being that even if someone's alive in the comic, they might not be alive in the show and, and vice versa as far as I, Walking Dead. You, you know, it's kind of interesting that we we're covering these shows that have literary kind of basis. But then when you look at some of the other like superhero shows they're com- it seems like they're completely free from the comic books whereas walking dead and game of thrones are really like tied down to their source material m- much more i guess by degrees than some of these other shows that are using characters that have been developed you know in print or whatever but it seems like these other shows can really veer away and and you know kind of choose and mesh different storylines together and create whole new things and seems like walking dead and game of thrones really stick to their source material as much as they can i think now that we're deep into some seasons you know they're gonna veer away but it's it's i don't know it's kind of interesting i never really paid attention that much um well also with the comics you know they've been around for so long and while things like arrow and flash are still being published there's a lot of callbacks to things from the past all throughout, you know, throughout the uh, the, the, the the series, um, you know, um, through, throughout the TV series. You know, I'm saying that that that, uh, 
you know, they might not necessarily be, you know, reflecting what's going on in Green Arrow comics today or in um, Flash comics today, but they're definitely, you know, leaning very heavily on them. And it does give them, I guess, a freedom to uh, because they're taking from like, you know, 50 years of continuity and they take a little of this from Barry Allen, a little of that from Wally West, and they take a little of this from Oliver Queen and a little of that from, you know, the Batman universe. And, uh, you know, they, they managed to uh, sort of, you know, cobble together something that's new, even though it's based on, on an existing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great segue to uh, the next shows that we're covering. Chico. Right. So, um, yeah, The Flash and Arrow. This is The Flash's first season and Arrow's third season. And um, they're definitely taking place in the same universe, although the shows have drastically different tones. Um, and uh, I think, I think that, that they, they've done a really good job of sort of, of that, of, of, of having the different tones of the shows, the sort of sunny, superhero-y, you know, uh, Flash versus the sort of dark and gritty Arrow. Right. I think um, one thing to just note from, like, Bird's Eye View is that the DC TV universe is much stronger than the Marvel TV universe, whereas it's the opposite in the feature film, the cinematic universe. Um, That said, um, I think the internet was aflame last week with (laughs) two out of the three DC shows that are on TV. Between Gotham and The Flash, the stuff that happened on the shows were like, you know, had everybody, all the geeks, like their heads exploded. So I don't know. I didn't catch Arrow, so I don't know how if Arrow dropped any like. Well, Arrow brought back um, uh, what's his face? Uh, you know, the villain from the second season, um, Deathstroke, oh. and um, that was dope. Um, the show had been had not been as strong as it had been in the past. And that was due to a couple of reasons. The show is Arrow is divided like uh, three quarters of the episode of every episode takes place in the present, and then there's a flashback to you know there was five years where Oliver Queen was missing before he ended up uh, coming back um, as the Arrow, and these flashbacks have been sort of taking you up through the present, and so we've had like flashbacks of the first you know three or four years of him having been away. Um, and the flashbacks on the island were by far and away the strongest of the flashbacks, and those actually involved Deathstroke, and Deathstroke was right. his uh, his friend, so when he was Slade Wilson, his companion, and the guy who one of the guys who trained him, and then they had a, a, a falling out, and uh, Deathstroke went crazy and became a villain. Well, Deathstroke came back this episode, and that was sort of the best thing that you could say. Um, so I would say. Gotham and The Flash trump Arrow in that on Gotham this week, spoiler alert, or last week, the Joker was presented. A very young Joker, the origin of the Joker. And then on The Flash, there was the brief and yet ever so, I guess, uh, powerful glimpse of Gorilla Grodd, which was really, really well done. And uh, and there were all these like screen caps and stuff, and I don't know if they reused the the uh, Peter Jackson King Kong model, the CG model or something, but actually it's it was really really well done um, for that brief second that you barely yeah, no, see I'm, him in I'm, the shadows. I'm actually really psyched for um, 
for Gorilla Grodd as, as a villain. I mean, the Flash has a, a lot of the Flash's villains are kind of whack, and the show has done actually a really good job about sort of de-whackifying like the ones that they've used or picking the ones who aren't whack. And Gorilla Grodd is one of the few Flash villains that is not whack. Um, and he's a super intelligent gorilla. He's a super intelligent villain from a race of super intelligent gorillas, at least in the comics. Right. Um, one thing I, I actually thought you were going to reference Firestorm. The last couple of episodes of The Flash have actually been about Firestorm. Yeah. And I get the sense that they're going to be um, spinning him off into his own show. I mean, maybe they're not, but... They, they are they know. are positioning it. It seems like I mean I don't think that's something that's been announced, but it seems like something that 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 that, that they're positioning themselves for, or that they could be. Um, but yeah, so Firestorm has been actually in the last couple of episodes of the Flash, and his his fiance is actually one of the Flashes, like on his team, you know, of helpers. Right, right, right. right. I, you know, the Firestorm storyline didn't hit me as much. I gotta say, whatever five seconds of Gorilla Grodd was better than yeah, yeah. Pro- probably the last three episodes of the Flash. There's an interesting subplot, you know, about traveling in time, and finally, they talk about that, which is you know really good that he can, you know move fast enough to go back in time or forward in time. Um, Gotham was actually the one that actually uh, stood out to me and that, you know, the Fish Mooney story picked up a notch. Her being on this, uh, I don't even know if it's an island, but some sort of prison or just a basement, some huge Like basement. a gangster prison. Yeah, it's like a gangster basement because there's stairs that you go up and down. It really did look like a, a really big, big subterranean, you know, hangout or something. Um, her story picked up a notch and then the whole Joker story I thought was actually really interesting and how they framed it as like a murder mystery and that, you know, so now we have this kind of Joker, um, origin story that, you know, again, I don't know if that's from the comics or it's kind of seemed pretty new to me. And no, I think they really made a lot of that up. We never, I don't think you've ever seen the Joker as a kid in the comics, like, to my knowledge, the only thing that comes close to showing him young is the killing joke. And even there, he's already married, and in his early 20s, he's like a failed stand-up comic who gets, uh, you know, sort of roped into going on a heist, and then he falls into this vat of chemicals. But we've never... No, we haven't seen him as a kid, and the whole connecting him to the Graysons. Right. The circus which, which, with, the, with the flying Graysons who right. are Get married and have and have baby Robin. Right, right, right. I think all that. I mean, the way they worked that in, I was like, oh, this yeah. is really for the fans and for people who are like, okay, you know, sometimes Gotham gets it right when it comes to that kind of stuff. When yeah. it comes to the lore, when it comes to the backstories, or like even creating new backstories and then using the the canons, you know, of these various kind of characters. I like the way they interweave it. Other times. The one thing that I don't like about or about that episode was um, Gordon's girlfriend. Yes, you know, I totally agree. That relationship, whoever wrote that storyline, it it got really crazy. And I was like, this is way too much, you know, uh, all about Eve or Catherine Hepburn and, and Tracy, you know, Spencer Tracy going on. I, I don't need that repartee with my, in my Batman universe if it's not Batman. You know what I mean? Like... 
I don't need to Wait, see are you that. Wait, to- are you talking about the the ME, you know, uh, Morena Bakarin? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I thought you were like- talking about they brought back his girlfriend or, you know, Barbara. No, 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 no. And I didn't Barbara- need to see any of that. Oh, I, you know, I like the, I like Morena Bakarin, so I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind. I, I know what you're talking about, but that didn't bother me, um... I, you know, uh, I thought it was corny. Like, I, yeah, it's it's corny. He, that's she's his new sidekick. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And he's, I don't know. It, it, I thought it was really forced, and it was a way to show their relationship and all this kind of stuff. I just felt from a structure, it was it was it felt like really really okay. Now you're forcing her on us. Like we only see her for for past couple of episodes, and now all of a sudden she's like she's got half an hour of screen time, you know and. Well, Meanwhile, one of the things is she's really eating into Bullock's screen time. So because that's they've what had I mean. her yeah, that's in what all I the mean. scenes, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I do like her, but you could almost have seen him and Bullock going to the circus together if they hadn't introduced this character. I just like her also a lot more than Barbara. Uh, sadly, the Renee Montoya stuff didn't didn't and her didn't work for me. I mean, I was hoping they would somehow fix it. They seem to have just sort of written both characters sort of out or off to the side. Um, but ho- hopefully they'll be able to sort of do the cop stuff and, you know, half as good as they're doing, you know, like the Fish Mooney stuff. And a lot of this, you know, the Batman Easter egg stuff, you know. Someone uh, pointed out that um, yeah, uh, Mark Margolis, who played uh, the blind fortune teller in this episode, also played Felix Faust in Constantine who's like a DC magic character and there's an idea that he you know he could have been that that could have the, the the blind fortune teller could have been Felix Faust and it's just there obviously there's a lot of and also for breaking bad fans Mark Morgolis of course was Tio Salamanca but um you know there's a lot of a lot of layers to the stuff that they're and 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 they they freely will make stuff not make stuff up but you know stuff like the with the Joker uh, shout outs to Cameron Monaghan who played the young Joker because um, just the night before he actually had a pretty amazing uh, episode of uh, Shameless, which is his regular show where his character basically had a nervous breakdown and flipped out and, and kidnapped a baby. And there's scenes of him, you know, running with the baby in his arms with cops chasing him. And you really think that he's going to drop the baby. And it was very, and then his family ends up institutionalizing him. And it was a pretty tour de force performance. And then he gives another tour de force kind of crazy performance, but in a totally different, you know, coming from a totally different angle, um, you know, the next night. And so it was sort of a, a, a nice TV one, two, you know, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy, like how the guy who plays Penguin was on Walking Dead. Yes. And then this guy, who you know, who plays the Joker is on Shameless. They're doing a lot of. Um, interweaving of character actors. I feel like every character actor in New York is working on Gotham these days, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to who pops up next. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, I know uh, I know Jamie Hector lives in Brooklyn, who we all know as Marlo from The Wire. So uh, you know, and I, I mean, I'm, there's a lot of other actors who live in Brooklyn too, but. Uh, you know, yeah, no, they could be showing up uh, any day on on Gotham. Um, so, how are you? Uh, how'd you like the Oscars tonight? 
I didn't watch the. I haven't watched the. I, I in general don't watch award shows. But if I did, was going to watch an award show, I would watch the Oscars. But I, I honestly haven't watched the Oscars since the year that Crash won. That was sort of my last. My last. You know, watching the Oscars. It's it's too just not has nothing to do with like what the best movies are and they're constantly giving awards to make up for mistakes that they made in the past. And, you know, yeah, you, you know, you, you, you didn't give, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese the, you know, best director or best picture for Raging Bull and you gave it to ordinary people. So then you give it to Martin Scorsese, you know, 20 years later for The Departed. You know, they didn't even nominate 2001. They didn't nominate Citizen Kane. I don't believe Do the Right Thing was nominated. You know, I mean, it's just the, these these are these are just basic, you know, movies that you know are were obviously the best picture of those years and they you know they're not even nominated it's just it's and and the academy is is not representative obviously of 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 either the movie going public or people who work on movie it, it's um you know it's 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 an it's an insular club and self-congratulatory and you know people get up there and the first thing they do is thank their agents so anyway, I do know Patricia Arquette did win for uh, Best Supporting Actress. She did, and she did, and she made a, a, a nice speech about uh, women wage equality. So she she definitely used it for a, a political stance. Her speech, um, but anyway, I, yeah, I was I'm kind of hate watching and was hate watching myself um, since none of the movies you know have any actors of color, but. Uh, I didn't get to see all of them. But you you said you had a beef with American Sniper? What was that? So, I mean, I just... Look, I like war movies, I mean, as as a genre. But I got to be honest with you, I was a little turned off by the Mark Wahlberg, the Peter Berg movie. Peter Berg directed it. Uh, Mark Mark Wahlberg's Lone Survivor. Right. I found that to be, like, just war porn, you know, with, like, the... I found the close-ups of, like, bullets entering bodies and, and the... You know, the sort of Sam Peckinpah-ish, you know, you know, blood spurting out and all that to be no different than like, you know, um, there was the movie Spring Breakers by Harmony Korine. And I remember one of the reviews said the camera tracked all over the girl's bodies like a tongue, which actually that review made me want to see the movie. Um, (laughs) But I just I just it's war porn, you know, and and this one, my understanding is the dude was, uh, you know, a terrible racist who totally dehumanized the Iraqis that he was killing, which maybe as a sniper you've got to do that because you are killing people. But my understanding is the, sh- the movie literally invented the two villains who are like these insane, like one dude is like running around and cutting up people with chainsaws. Like he's literally like some dude, like an Iraqi dude out of Scarface. And then there's like the dude who's ordering all the suicide bombings. And I'm not saying that there aren't evil people. There certainly are plenty of evil people in Iraq, but they made up those characters to sort of justify the dude, you know, the, the, the sniper dude, um, his, you know, like apparently he called them savages. I did read, I believe that he bragged about shooting black men after Katrina. And it's possible that that actually was that he didn't do that. that he was just sort of boasting about that. But, um, it seems like there are a lot of heroes out there, and I don't know that you know. Uh, 
I don't know. It seems, you know, again, I haven't seen it, so it's difficult to, you know, it's hypocritical and difficult to criticize a movie. I'll definitely see it when it comes on cable. I am at the point <laughs> which where, is like next year. When yeah, it's well, completely you know, irrelevant. I mean, look, I just saw Winter Soldier like two months ago. You know, um, I only saw Spring Breakers a couple of months ago. You know, I'm I'm on that schedule. And at this point, it's just a different release. It's not the same as before. If you didn't catch it in the theaters, you know, then, you know, I don't know. The TVs have gotten better, you know, the uh, – um and sometimes it's only a few months till stuff comes on cable or on demand or on Netflix or on Amazon Prime or any of those. So I haven't seen any of this year's Oscar movies, although to be honest with you, you know – um yeah it's this is one of those years like i feel like the year that um what was that movie with like the little girl in the dance recital with uh, alan arkin was in that movie that was like a year where there were like a bunch of movies that i wasn't that interested in in the first place um this sort of seems like that um you know a lot of people said really good things about birdman a lot of people have said really good things about selma a lot of people have said really good things about boyhood um well, at least you know the films, and you know you can always catch them if you're uh, on Flickerachi's uh, email chain. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, another Oscars uh, 2015 down the down the tubes, I guess. Right. So yeah, that. I mean, it's it's another year, another Oscars. You know, they're gonna they're gonna give a give an award, you know, to somebody who doesn't necessarily deserve it this year to make up for some award they didn't give somebody five years ago. Um. You know, it bothers me that, you know, yeah, I mean, going getting back to the American Sniper thing that, you know, I mean, I know that this fits a storyline and all that. But, you know, that that Selma and that were released on Mar- on the weekend before leading up to Martin Luther King Day. And Martin Luther King is a guy who was shot by a sniper. And the movie that, you know, everybody goes to see is about a racist night. It just there's something it says. I know that it is sort of a storyline that that I'm making this fit into, but it really fits well into a storyline about America. That's not, you know, that's not really the storyline that I want to be taking part in. Um, I mean, you know, I, I know people who saw Selma opening weekend and there were six people in the theaters. And when they came out, the line was around the block for American right. Sniper. And that that's not, you know, that's not dope. Right. Um, well, you know, I mean, we, this is why we got to talk about it. Um, I do have a What Chico Know uh, installment, if you would uh, oblige me. Okay. All right. <laughs> Going back to Wedge Antilles, um, oh. in real life, the actor is... Who's uncle? Oh, God. I don't know, man. I definitely, I could, I don't even know. I'm assuming the actor is British. All right, let me, let me put it in more context. Also part of the Star Wars canon. Oh, also part of the Star Wars canon. Um, could he be the uncle of the kid who played Anakin in the, in the, in the, in the first movie who claims his whole life was ruined by that experience? Pretty, pretty close, pretty close, but, uh, I have to go negatory on that. He's actually, um, the uncle of the young Obi-Wan who would be Jude Law. Oh, wow. I did not I'm know sorry, that. not Jude Law. I didn't Jude even Law. know that Jude Law. No, Wait, no, no, my Jude bad, Law, my bad. You and McGregor. <laughs> I always get those guys. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I always get those guys mixed up. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah. Well, you and McGregor Scottish. I, I did maybe the actor who plays Wedge Antilles could also be Scottish. Could be. 
Um, anyway, that's a little trivia for you. That's a cool. That is a good. That's good trivia. Okay, I like that. That's it. Just one. You had three. That's last it. Time. No, that's it. That's it. That's okay, it. just I, all right. Hey well, man, you know, if you, 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 you got it you wrong, get some, man. You don't get some. You win some. <laughs> exactly. You some. Exactly. So I guess just before we go, I just wanted to shout out um, this week. Um, the Vikings uh, premiered. And this is a show that's on the History Channel that I had zero expectations for when it first started. Zero expectations. And it, they, they, it turned out to be like a really, really, really great show. It's the third season just premiered. Um, it might not be, you know, a fan bro show. I will say um, I went to where I met you several years ago at the first fan bros, at the first, sorry, loudspeakers network gathering in Prospect Park. We had a really great picnic. The, you were like one of the first people I, I started talking to that, you know, that I didn't know. And the second guy I talked to, we had like a 20 minute conversation about the Vikings. Um, and so I do know there are some fan bros out there who follow it. Um, it's it's an I will say one interesting point of view, and I'm not I'm not even sure how to phrase this. Obviously, the Vikings are all white people, but they're sort of different than the white people that you normally see in TV shows or movies or historical stuff, because they live a very tribal existence. Their 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 sort of culture is more like what you would associate with like Inuits or Aleuts or um, you know Sioux or Crow or you know, tribal peoples in New Guinea or, you know, across Africa, they definitely have a very tribal, um, you know, uh, not standard of living, but culture. And they're, they're, um, pay, you know, they're polytheistic and pagan. And um, it's just sort of an interesting, you know, point of view. I mean, there's definitely no people of color on the show, but, <laughs> and I'm not saying that they, that they're white people who act like people of color, but, you know, they definitely live this, you know, it takes a it takes a village, you know, um, call, you know, way of life. And that, you know, that was Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village. It's based on an African proverb. And, um, you know, hey, they're does, uh, hunters, does, gatherers, raiders, he, farmers, you know, they sort of do the things that, you know, um, and not that there aren't people in England, you know, in the 12th century doing those things, but they're they're sort of Christian dominated world with a king and the king is there by right of, you know, God put him there and all that. These guys have a totally different worldview and uh, the show does a really great job of exploring their culture. Women have a much much Patricia Arquette would would like it much more in the uh, in the Viking world. The women fight in the shield wall along with the men. They're able to like have sex with dudes that they want to have sex with. They don't have to sort of wait on on anything. You know, there's not there's just a very it's a it's just a very different um, culture. And the show does a really good job about both exploring that. And actually, as they've been like raiding in England and sort of trying to negotiate with the English king at the time, and this is like pre-Arthur, you know, England, um, they, uh, you know, you you get to see their culture through the eyes of, you know, sort of European people who, you know, think that they're just savages, but they're but they're definitely not. Um, and so, so it, it, there's definitely like a, just so, something interesting going on. Really well written, well acted, very great, you know, great battle scenes. Um, I do think anyone who's a fan of Game of Thrones would really like the Vikings. And I've always said that um, uh, Jax Teller on um, uh, 
Sons of Anarchy is just a really, really weak version of Ragnar Lothbrook, who's the uh, our main hero on the Vikings. Nice. Um, does, uh, so does, I don't know. Uh, you ever checked out the Vikings? I haven't. Uh, is Thor in the Vikings? Thor is not. Uh, Thor gets mentioned, and uh, um, you know the guy Eric from uh, from True Blood, his brother plays uh one of one of ragnar's friends and gotcha. uh, that guy is like super religious in in the norse mythology and he calls on thor a lot um but no uh no no thor from the avengers he doesn't No show thor up. from the avengers no no loki from the avengers but there's definitely references to thor and loki and odin yeah, you might want to. You might want to let those dudes know they should do a little crossover happening to bring bring that shit up to speed to, to bring some attention. Well, look, yeah. yo, I think um, I think it's definitely one of the more underrated shows on TV, and I think it's one of the more underrated things just on right now. Um, that that and Banshee. I'm not gonna go into a whole, but Banshee had a high scene that I is like filmed in a way like I've never seen on this week on TV. And I know there's been people on Twitter calling for us to talk about Banshee. So maybe at the end of the season, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think, uh, you know, there are definitely fan bros out there uh, who, who will, uh, who will dig the Vikings right on. Cool, man. And uh, I guess with that, uh, we're going to fly off into the night unless you've got anything else. No, man. Wedge Antilles all day. Wedge Antilles all day, Obi Wan Kenobi all day. Yeah, wow. I mean that that's a good piece of trivia. I will admit. Um, all right, peace, peace. Fan pros, fan pros.